We're going to be talking this morning about the marks of, of what a healthy church looks like. And this is the, the key text for what the church does. It's in Acts 2, 42 to 47. So I'm very fascinated by this text because when I read it, I think about what they did, and then I think, what does this mean for us in our present day in which we live? How do we translate this into modern terms, or what needs to be translated? I think, are there things here that we wouldn't do because it doesn't make any sense in our modern context? So what I want to do is I'm going to read this text, and then I'm going to ask you, what are the marks from this text of a healthy, vibrant church that's following Jesus Christ? When you read this text, what are the marks of a healthy, vibrant church that's, uh, that's following Jesus Christ? And are there any things in here that you think need translation? Uh, I mean, everything kind of needs translation. We, we always, we apply the Word of God to our lives. We translate it, in a sense, into our life. But are there things that need to be adjusted so that we can continue in them to this day? So this is the church you've always dreamed of, from Acts 2, 42 to 47. If you'll read with me. It says this, and this is after the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 people, and then 3,000 people came to Christ. So there's 3,120 people now hanging out. <laughs> Big group. Big group. And this group, it says, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the full favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So from this passage... You can just shout it out from where you're at. What are the marks of a vibrant, healthy church that you see in this? Fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship, Fellowship is like friendship, but deeper. Friendship in Christ. It's not less than friendship. It's greater than friendship. Anything else? Prayer. Yep, they, there was some prayer going on. Every day. Every day. You mean everyday life? Yeah, everyday mundane life was happening together here in this church. I'd like to point out at this moment that uh, when these 3,120 people gathered as the church, one of the reasons they were going, going around eating in each other's homes is because they didn't go home after the church service was over. They, they hung out, this huge group of people in the middle of Jerusalem, for a long period of time and kind of shared, they couch surfed a little bit. They shared food and supplies with each other. They were, they were together. <laughs> they were together for an extended period of time. Anything else? They helped those in need. Yep. It says folks sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Has anyone here ever sacrificed to help a family member in need? You know, given financially to help a family member? Sometimes it goes well. <laughs> and sometimes it just keeps going. Uh, so that can be difficult. But here, it's, they viewed this as a family. And they, like, like a family, they were concerned about people that didn't have their basic needs met. So people did, that were doing okay, uh, 
got rid of some extra properties and things to help those that were not okay. Anything else? They ate together. That's good. Yeah, Susan likes that. Italian family. And I am I'm Italian, 100% in my spirit. Um, I am like 100% German. It's so regrettable. I just love, I just want to be Italian. <laughs> so in heaven, do you see a handsome, muscular, tall Italian man? That's me. It's my glorified body. <laughs> No sauerkraut for me. Uh, the German thing just doesn't, doesn't float my boat. Anything else in the passage that you see? People were being saved. It says an interesting phrase, uh, and that will bring me into, uh, that they enjoyed the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number they, every day those who were being saved. So, the way that they, these people were living was the community that was created was very attractive to folks around, and they had, these people had favor. I think people thought, I mean, what would you think if in the middle of Saratoga, I did the math, I'm not a math major, but I did the math a couple weeks ago, and the percentage of the population that was saved in this passage would, when you compare it to Saratoga's population and you do all the calculations, a little, right around 700 people. So all of a sudden, 700 people that aren't believers we're, we're in downtown Saratoga. We share the gospel. 700 people come to Christ, and then they just hang out downtown, you know, eating doughboys and sharing doughboys with each other. If you don't know Saratoga cuisine, I guess you don't know what that is. But you should, in moderation. Um, or you will become a doughboy or dough girl. <laughs> anyway, that's the equivalent. 700 folks between 650 and 700, coming to Christ in one day and then hanging out together. Interesting. The Lord added to that number, 3,120, daily, those who were being saved. So more and more people came to Christ. But I think it's really important to note that it was the Lord who added to this number who were being saved. The Lord Jesus himself. And these people were being faithful, certainly. They were doing all of the, the kind of the right things that God was calling them to do. And as they were faithful, as they sought the Lord in prayer, as they worshiped and praised the Lord, as the passage says, God himself, first of all, was attractive to the, to the world of that day, and God himself added to their number. So a pastor, uh, a person in a church, a personality, a program cannot save people. You know? We'd love to have nicer, better things in a church to make it more comfortable. You know, Padded chairs that we just, oh, this is great. I could fall asleep in this chair during his sermon. Just so boring. You know, we'd love to have all this comfortable stuff, but that, that's not what saves people. The Lord Jesus saves people. You could be standing, you could be standing room only, you know, when the Lord brings people in. They're, they're fine because the presence of the Lord is enough for folks. Uh, but it's the Lord Jesus who saves people. People were being added to the number daily who are being saved. What the passage boils down to for me is that the church that we're talking about in this passage is your dream church. It's a really cool thing. A church full of mutuality, of mutual support of its, of its members. The folks in this church are supporting each other in every way. People are having deep friendships. They're sharing life and relationship. And, and maybe more importantly, and maybe the reason they grew so quickly was uh, everyone was part of something bigger than themselves that was going somewhere. So everything that they did in their life that was formerly mundane, 
you know, think about the things we do in life. It was given meaning. And, you know, we were created to worship God. And when, and when that's not in its place, there's just something in us that we just, we have a midlife crisis eventually, right? Or uh, we, come to, we come to the bottom of it. We can't find meaning, even in all of our success. But when you find that meaning in Christ and you become a part of what Jesus is doing on the earth, you know, that's something that imbues every bit of your existence, everything, every single mundane thing you do with the power and presence of God. You know? So when you are out and about, you realize that God is adding people daily who are being saved. You share with people, you talk to people, you see who bites, you know? Because <laughs> you know that God's at work. Even, even a simple trip to a grocery store could be an amazing divine encounter. Uh, I have a friend who, he, he's had some very difficult, crazy difficulties in his life, and he's become someone who I really look up to a lot, um, lives close by. He lost his wife to cancer, young, and you know, they were in their late 20s years ago, has three children. He's just someone that follows the Holy Spirit in just crazy ways. He has faith. He steps out. So, you know, here we are four or five years later since his wife has passed, and uh, his kids are, you know, coming up to the high school age, and he has groceries delivered to their house. He picks them up. He orders them online and picks them up because it's a lot of work to be a single parent, you know. One day, he went to the supermarket, and the, the water that he had ordered was not there. And so he was like, you know, I, I'll just order it next time. We, we'll, we'll be fine. But he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, go to this other store and, and get the water. So he went. And then he said to himself, I wonder what God is doing right here, because this is unusual for me to be doing this. But he went in, he looked, and he saw someone that he looked like was in dis- he thought was in distress, and he... Uh, he shared with them. He said, you know, I felt like God sent me to the store. Don't mean to be strange. Um, and maybe God has me here for you. And the person, you know, was very, very touched. And he shared with this person. This person came to Christ. Uh, they were going through, through a struggle themselves. I think God kind of hooked him up with this person because of his own struggles in his life. And they knew there would be love there and empathy. And he said, you know, you really should get connected into a church someday to keep growing in your faith. So the Lord saved this person. And three years later, my friend is a pastor, and this person shows up at their church and didn't know that he was the pastor of the church. And he's like, this has come full circle for me. The Lord, in his mind, was adding, adding daily to those who were being saved. So this mundane thing of picking up groceries, even through the pain and suffering of, of why you have to pick up those groceries in the first place, became this opportunity for God to use in an amazing way. So being a part of a church like this that's vibrant, that's growing. It's our, it's our dream church. I want you to know as we go through this passage, obviously we started at the very end, which is what I like to do. Uh, as we go through this passage, I want you to know that there is absolutely a method to my madness as your senior pastor. There's a method to the elders, how we do things, and how the ministry heads do things. We are trying to position ourselves to be faithful to this scripture, to these ideas, because we believe that as we are faithful to what the Bible teaches us, and we try to do what God's calling us to do from clearly in his scriptures, that as we do that, God is going to add to our number daily those who are being saved. People are going to come to Christ. It's one of those things that we believe, and so that's what we do. So going back uh, to the beginning of the passage, as we look at the marks of a healthy, vibrant, growing uh, church, 
in Jesus Christ. They have this phrase in the beginning of the passage, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And you're going to think this is self-serving, because I am teaching right now. So the Bible says to devote yourself to my teaching, right? It's kind of funny. I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not an apostle, but I am the head shepherd of the church, and the, along with the pastoral elders. And we, by God's grace, by his choice, uh, he, he has seen fit to give us authority to teach in the church. So me and the elders, we're not apostles, but as far as the application of this passage is concerned, we are like apostles. And this is saying that the church is to devote themselves to the teacher's teaching. And I'm telling you the truth. You've seen me do essentially altar calls. I'm the first one many times because the Word of God is speaking to me in such convicting ways that I just, I'm responding to my own teaching because it's teaching from the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm not being presumptuous, but saying the Word of God explained as it is does just touch your heart in an amazing way. And so when people say, oh, that was a good sermon, I got something out of that, I'm like, oh, my goodness, me too. It sounds so, sounds so like proud and arrogant, but it's the Word of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit's inspired Word of God. And so uh, often I'm the first to come up. Uh, but I want you to know, when I'm teaching, when I'm preaching, Today's kind of a teaching-ish kind of day, going through this passage. I, with all of my heart, am committed to sharing with you plainly what the Bible is saying, even if it's not comfortable. Even if it's not how I would say it. Because I tend to be a softie, you know? I don't want to make people feel bad, of course. Or make myself feel bad. We all like to be more comfortable. But I am so committed to sharing what I believe the Bible is saying to you and trying to translate it in a way that you can understand it. I know the elders are too. You know, I, if I felt that I misled you or didn't hit a point home that I felt the Bible was trying to make or I uh, somehow misrepresented or toned down what the Bible is trying to say, I wouldn't be able to live with myself as a pastor. It's such a powerful force in me. So... Myself, Corey, and the pastoral elders, we are committed to sharing with you the Word of God in its fullness, no matter what. And that's the first step of being faithful to the passage that we're looking at today, uh, of this mark of a vibrant, healthy, growing church. But the second step is that the church devote themselves to the teaching of the pastors and the elders. That's the second step. So as we are teaching... Even, and I, I understand, the preaching always isn't very good. Sometimes it's, it's okay. You're like, oh, I didn't really do anything for me. But just think about, I really believe this. And I believe this when I've been a member of a church, not a pastor. I've believed this my entire life, that submission is such a spiritual principle. When you submit to the spiritual leadership and the teaching of your church, uh, even if it's not always great, it's not always like Robbie Zacharias on the radio or David Jeremiah, whoever you like, Creflo Dollar, some of you, I don't know. <laughs> Not my favorite. Um, whoever your superstar preacher is, your pastor is not as good as he is, I guarantee it. But even so, I think that God blesses you in a special way when you submit to the teaching of the elders and pastors of your local church, because in doing that, you're submitting to the teaching of God. You're submitting to God himself. And it's also very honoring to check the scriptures to see if your pastor and elders are teaching the right thing, because if they're worth their salt... They will say, you come to them and you have a good point. They'll say, you know what? I'm going to share that next week and just because I want to get it right too. 
So we've become a congregation of scribes, of people that care about getting it right, care about hearing from God. Uh, but I think that submitting yourself to teaching, trying to apply it, even if it's hard to understand, but looking at it later in the week and trying to faithfully live it out brings great honor to God. I think that's one of the ways that God grows his church. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in the early church. That was a, the first mark of a vibrant, healthy church. The second is a multifaceted thing, and I kind of took this from a couple different places. They devoted themselves to fellowship, which we talked about earlier, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and to praising God. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. In both 42 and 46, it talks about eating, right, Susan? Which is exciting for us Italians. And uh, in verse 42, very interestingly, it's talking about breaking bread, and it's specifically talking about communion, like, like we did earlier. This is something like what they did in Bible times. It would have probably been wine. It probably would have been like a loaf of bread. Uh, we're nice enough to give you a little communion shot glass, you know, around here. Um, but that's what, that's what that's talking about, 42. But in 46, it's talking about eating at each other's houses, actually. So this church became a vibrant, attractive community where people were coming to Christ because they were devoted to having real community with people. When you invite people into the, the, the sacredness of your kitchen, you are, that's an intimate part of your life around the kitchen table, and these people were eating at each other's houses. They didn't devote themselves to the idea of being the church in that we go to church every Sunday and sometimes a special service now and again. They were devoted to the idea of to, to not the idea, but to being the church. They were devoted to being the church, to actually uh, doing that. And I am so profoundly grateful that this church has caught a vision for the importance of being the church, not just mentally saying, yeah, I'm part of the church, I go on Sundays. But being the church, we had you know, 15 small groups. We had people coming together in each other's homes and reading a book together, and answering questions together, and having food and celebration together, and sharing life together, and praying together, uh, because you, to, to some level, have bought into this idea. And that is a mark of a growing and healthy church. And we see uh, that they had fellowship, they had prayer, they praised God, and wonders and signs happened among them uh, at the hands of the elders. Last night, I was at a birthday party for a beloved friend, and... Uh, I was dead. Literally Wednesday night to Saturday morning was Thanksgiving extravaganza for our family. It was crazy. It was so much Thanksgiving. And then yesterday we had this project where we had to empty out a storage unit. As soon as we got home, we literally pulled in the driveway. Then our friends helped us to empty out a storage unit. Then I watched the kids for a couple hours. And then the evening came and I was so shot. But I went to this, I have a dear friend got invited to the birthday party, and I just, I was so excited to go because I love this person tremendously. So I went to this party, and un- unknown to me, a couple other people from church were there, and uh, I sat with them, and it was really, really fun because I couldn't, I literally couldn't bring myself to say anything. If I was up to preach yesterday, we'd be in big trouble because I didn't have anything to say. But my friends, since we have a history, since we have a shared bond, we've been in small groups together, we've done life together, we know each other's struggles and hardships and hobbies, uh, hopes and fears and patterns, life patterns and different things. I didn't have to do any of the talking because my friends were just going on and on. It was great. I wrote this down. I said to them last night, 
I'm so thankful to have people that I'm so comfortable with that do not have to say anything at all in their presence. I can just be. I don't have to impress them or pose or posture or be anything that, other than exhausted and burn out on Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know? And that, that's an amazing thing to me. Uh, we've shared our lives to such an extent that we can just sit and just be. And that's an amazing thing. That's true community. Jackie and I have led small groups since before we were married. In fact, Jackie and I were, <laughs> we were introduced kind of through the small group leading. Uh, many people don't know this, but, you know, me and Jackie are also very different people. So um, just very different people, you know, and that's turned out to be a great thing for us. But uh, I did not think that we had affinity when we first met. But I was leading a small group in 2006. There was like 30 people. It was becoming a stadium small group. Stadium seating. Stack the couches, stack the chairs. And I really felt the need that we needed to have a female leader in the group because there was lots of girls in the group. And I thought it was inappropriate for me to be spiritually guiding them if, without being unmarried myself. It could have been an opportunity, I guess, for me. But I guess... <laughs> At that time, I'm like, this is not good. I need to have someone to do that. So I prayed about it with our pastor, and Jackie came forward as someone that would be spiritually mature and steady, a good person for that. And so I asked if I could talk with her. We met up in the mall. She was working at Aeropostale at the time, which is soon to be defunct. Sorry, guys. I said, you know, I've been thinking about this. And she said, well... It's so funny that you say that because I've, I've felt that need in the group too and I've been praying that if the Lord wanted, you to, wanted me to do it, that you'd ask me. No joke. I mean, she's a straight shooter, so it wasn't like she made that up to win my heart or anything, but she didn't win my heart. In fact, it's terif- it, what she said next was, was like the t- most terrifying thing. We should start meeting every week to pray for the group. And I'm like, I don't want to meet every week. I just want you to do it, you know? Like, <laughs> and, uh, so, and we're very different people. I'm like, ah, I guess we could, you know. So, I'm, I, uh, so she, she came over, and we prayed for the group. And over time, in com- we were very comfortable, very ourselves. We got to know each other. And we just, a spark came out of that. Nine months later, we were dating. But we've been leading these small groups. For, uh, I've been leading them since 2005. So now, 11 years. And Jackie's been leading with me since 2006. Or, or seven, maybe. I'm not sure maybe 2007. And uh, when I look at the people in my small group, and I, I look out in this crowd and I see people in my small groups, and you are not friends. You are a family. I, I think that we would die for each other, but more importantly, I think we would live for each other. We would give our lives for each other. Um, we would build into each other's lives. Uh, at any cost. And when I look at those people in my small groups, they're not, uh, not just church people. They're not just friends. I mean, they've become that thing that's above friendship. They've become family. And I think that that is what the Bible's talking about. We pray in small groups. We, we praise in small groups. And yes, God does miraculous signs and wonders in small groups. As recently as in the last few months, God has healed someone physically in a small group that I know of. So as we bring needs forward, as things come out, we pray for each other, we praise the Lord together, we break bread, we have feasts, uh, Christmas feasts, and we have Yankee swaps, and we have uh, activities, and we, we, we get together and we do things. Uh, small groups are awesome for that. And we're going to be starting another round of small groups in January, which I'm very excited about. 
And I hope that you'll be looking for that. Myself, as the, as the pastor and the staff of this church and the elders of this church, these things that we're doing almost every month now are not haphazard. When I say karaoke is a spiritual discipline, I'm kind of serious. I'm being tongue-in-cheek, but I'm kind of serious because we had like 50 to 60 people come through and we all became something more than just friends. You know, we became family that night. Seeing different people sing and singing Billy Idol with Barb, you know, it was maybe after service we'll do it as a closing to the worship service. <laughs> it was really fun. Oh, yeah, Rick taped everything. It's terrifying. Uh, I think it was legit, but th- these events are not haphazard like we're a country club, so we do these things. We need to entertain our people. We're all consumers in the, in the market, and we're trying to make a funner event than something else you might do, so come to the church. It's not like that. It's fellowship. We're trying to create family relationships in the church. That's what it's all about, and that's what this movie night's about. We're trying to do something every month uh, that, we can, that we can do together. And that is also why, and I'll, I'll let you know this, we are not having... Sunday service on Christmas Day. We're not having Sunday service on Christmas Day because, you know, Christmas Day falls on a Sunday this year. And when I told the group of pastors that I work with that I was not planning on having a Sunday service on Christmas morning, you would have thought that I had renounced my faith. (laughs) Right, Corey? (laughs) He renounced his faith. He's a heretic. And so, because of the raised eyebrows and things, I said, well, What's, what is your reason for having a Sunday morning service on Christmas morning? And the reason was because we've always done that our whole lives. And, that, and I was willing to be corrected on that, but I didn't think that was a good enough reason uh, just because we've always done it. And I really uh, want this church to have authentic family-style community. So we are having a big uh, Christmas Eve service at 6 o'clock. We're going to get together as a family and worship the Lord. It's going to, we're doing an outreach with it, sending out things to the community to invite folks, bring your friends. It'll be a great time. And then on, on Sunday morning, on Christmas morning, what we're trying to do in the coming two or three weeks is take folks in the church that don't have family nearby and, and pair them up with folks that are op- willing to open their home. And think about how intimate that is, your Christmas celebration that you, that you do. It's like the, most, the heartbeat of your life where you're really yourself and... Uh, we're saying, why don't we encourage folks in a really concrete way to, to come together, on, even on Christmas morning, uh, and do this. So that's kind of what we're going for, uh, and we'll be working on that in the coming weeks. But everything that we're doing, we're trying to make this happen. We're trying to be faithful in our modern context, in our church in Saratoga, to honor God and do what Acts 2, 42 to 47 says, because I think that as we do these things, the Lord is going to grow the church. Because... You know, a healthy church, when the church becomes healthy, is a church that grows. And I love that quote. It said, I, I thought about the quote this week that people say, um, things that are healthy grow. And I was thinking to myself, well, that's not completely true. There are things that are pretty unhealthy that grow too. <laughs> so I decided not to say it. What a cliche. So the final thing in this passage is, and the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who has a need. So this is, this is something that's kind of crazy. What it doesn't say is these folks were already giving a tithe. They were giving 10% of their money to the local synagogue for its maintenance and upkeep. So these people were already giving 10% to that and to some other places, but just for the upkeep of the church. And over and above that, these people, 
that had extra stuff, sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Uh, and this is like, we're approaching 4,000 people now. And the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, they had a man purse. That's all I can say. They're all dudes. Judas had a man purse. And he is a common purse. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> yeah, he had like one of those European-style satchel bags. And he held on to the money for the apostles. You know, sometimes he stole some, I guess, because he was kind of... She's a little bit shady, we'll just say, uh, as, as we know. But uh, they decided, let's apply this to the 4,000. We'll have a common purse. We'll have people sell positions, possessions that are extra, give to the poor. So these people were giving 10%, and then they were giving over and above that into this fund. Again, it must appear self-serving t- to me in some ways because I'm hired full-time to work at the church, and I, you know, I'm invested in these things. But an author... I read, who's very gracious and non-judgmental, wrote something that I would never say about giving to the church. It says, churches in which members do not at least tithe their income, that is, give at least 10% to the Lord's work, and primary to the lo- primarily to the local church, are obviously not high-quality churches. <laughs> that just like cracked me up, because I would never, ever say that. But, the, but when I read that, I'm like, it's a harsh quote, but like, I can see some truth in that, that you know, it's not a healthy church where people are hoarding their wealth and not giving faithfully to upkeep the local church and not giving to, to meet needs in the church. Uh, because God has said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said, uh, do, you cannot serve both God and money. So give me your first fruits, the first and best of your stuff, you know, and, and I will make sure that all of your needs are met by my provision. And so that's something that me and Jackie have put into practice uh, and we've, and you know, I used to be such a miser with money. I'm telling you, Pennsylvania Dutch, German guy. I mean, we pinch pennies together. It's great when you're when older relatives die in your family. When you're Pennsylvania Dutch, you get like a fortune because they lived like with no heat on, you know, just drinking like broth water. Is that you, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus calling. Church is going long today. Everybody's uncomfortable, and the phone rings, and Jesus says, "Are you almost done in there?" My people have places to go for lunch. But anyway, Pennsylvania Dutch boy, penny pincher, um, very difficult to spend money, very conservative with money. Um, And so I can tell you that when I started giving 10% of our income to God by setting up my bank account to send a check every week, it liberated me from that. And I just feel generous. And... When, other, when I hear about someone having a need in the church, this is where we're getting into what this is saying, the, the explicit, not implicit message. The explicit message is, when I hear of a need in the church or someone says, something happened to my car, what can I do? Do you need money? And you know, sometimes people, you, sometimes you don't have money to give, and that's fine. But our first response can never be, someone else will do that. This is our family. You know? It's like our kid or our, or our, uh, our spouse or our grandparents. They're going to be without heat this week, so what are we going to do about it? Uh, And it's really cool. Giving that 10% off the top has liberated me to just be generous because I feel like it all belongs to God. This is ruining my savings plan to give, you know, 10% to the church. You know, anyway, that's kind of a joke, but it all belongs to God. I'm a caretaker. God can give and take away as he sees fit. It really is God's money. And so I can be a conduit. And I have gotten... Uh, so much blessing 
from being a part of a church where people that when they hear of a need, they don't think someone else will do it, but they say, can I help you? Do you need something? Because we're family. And uh, uh, yesterday, we, we had forgotten to send an email out, so we sent out a quick message two days ago. We need to empty a storage unit tomorrow. And a bunch of church people just showed up and helped us empty a storage unit into our basement. Like, drop of a hat. It's amazing. A few years ago, we, we were having trouble buying groceries when I was in seminary, and it was just tight. And uh, friends of ours brought us a giant ham that lasted for like two weeks. We had so much ham. And if you don't have a lot of money, ham and beans are a great thing to have and a multivitamin. But I guess... Uh, <laughs> And we have a benevolence fund. Every month we give to a benevolence fund. So that money all goes to paying people's needs, uh, uh, paying their power bills so they don't freeze to death, food, groceries, if they miss an insurance payment, uh, helping people put a car back on the road. People have many different hardships. That fund goes to that. So we're trying to live this out, right, as a church. We need to be good givers, and we need to be faithful to, to recognize God's. It's, it's God's money. We're caretakers. And we need to... Um, have that generous spirit that comes from opening our hand to God so that when there's a need, we reach out and we meet it somehow. Um, if we can't do it, we can do something. If we can't buy someone a new washing machine, we can help install it. We can help pick it up from Lowe's with our truck. Whatever we need to do, we can do it. So what shall we do then? How shall we then live based on this Acts two forty-two to 47 passage? I think that what God is calling us to is to not go to church anymore, but to be the church. Be the church. Uh, come underneath the teaching of the church. Come to events and bring your friends to things that we do. Um, we are carefully praying and seeking God's will on everything we do. Every, every time I do an, uh, something through the Bible, like the Essential 100, where I did that over email, or whether we did the small group questions and the small group participation, whether I'm preaching... Whatever area it is, myself, Corey, and the pastoral elders, we're seeking the Lord, and we're really trying to move this church towards being this church in Acts. And, I, and I'm happy to say that evaluating the church, we're getting there. But we must all commit to this. We must all commit to this family. We must go from the paradigm of going to weekly church to being the daily church. That was quotable. Tweet that, yeah. Didn't read that anywhere. It wasn't that good. It wasn't that good. But go from being the, the, the weekly Sunday church to being the daily church, opening up our very lives and our homes to the church, because I believe that once we put forth our best effort, this is what Rob Reimer talks about in River Dwellers, when we put forth our best effort and we seek and we realize that's never going to be enough, we need God's empowerment by his Holy Spirit. When we do our best effort and seek God's empowerment, God does great things. In Saratoga, will come to know Jesus Christ, and we will have favor with the people in this town. Whether we're boosting a Facebook post for a karaoke night, or we are sharing meals with people and doing kindness kinds of ministries around the city, or inviting people in for a fall festival, we will have favor with people, and Jesus Christ himself will add to our church daily those who are being saved. It's the biblical model. I think that's what God's doing here. So I'd like to close with just prayer today. And then uh, I'm going to release you to be the church, which is what we always say at the end of services, right? A foundation Pastor Bo laid many years ago that we don't go to church, we are the church. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this teaching. I thank you for this church. I'm profoundly grateful for it. To be a part of something that you're doing like this is amazing. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to come underneath this teaching and to become a vibrant and healthy family community that invites people, each other over for meals, that has game nights together, that can just sit at a table and not say a word because the fellowship and the friendship is so deep. Make us this kind of family. And Jesus, save people through our presence in Saratoga. Bring people to yourself, people that have never heard about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. May they come into our family, be welcomed, be loved, be taken care of, and may they come to know Jesus Christ as we have and become part of what you're doing here at New Life. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.